God is good and God is good and amazing and powerful and mighty to save. Mighty, mighty, mighty to save. And I'm telling you, within the past couple of weeks and, and just months, God has just been showing me some things and putting me in situations I never thought I would be. And, and meeting people, I, you know, I, I wouldn't imagine living the kind of life that they're living. And, and God has enabled me and a couple others in this place to come into their lives and be a part of their lives. And it's just a brokenness, a brokenness that has come upon me, you know, and, and among a, a lot of you here, you know, God is just opening up your eyes to see the things around you. It's no longer just, you know, your life. And it's not just about you anymore. You're starting to see, wow, this Christian walk, man, it's really not about me anymore. It's not about my little, you know, issues and, you know, I'm dealing with pride or I'm dealing with, um, you know, this kind of sin. It's not about you anymore. Now that you're starting to grow up, you see the need. You see the need to get out there on the streets and to preach the gospel. And I always talk about preaching the gospel, right? I talk about preaching the gospel or sin. It's just one or the other. And, man, that's my heart, man. As a Christian, that is our job. So today we're talking about work. Christians are called to work. Everybody say work. We are called to work hard. Amen? We are called to work harder than anybody else in this world, man. We are called to set the example in the workplace, at school, you know, amen, SCM students. We are called to set the example in our home. Husbands and wives, we are called to set the example to your children. Everywhere we go, you shed that light of Christ, amen? My heart has been just burning this past week and just all these thoughts in my head about Christians who are in the church and are just not doing anything, are stagnant. You know, go to church and just feed and feed and, you know, take and take and take. I can't sit down. <laughs> and take and take. But don't do anything. You know, when you, when you sit down and you eat and you just eat and you eat some more, you know, and you don't start exercising, well, you start to gain some weight, right? And you keep eating and you eat some more and it's called gluttony. And you don't do anything about it. You start to gain some weight. And that's what the church of America is today. It's, getting, it's eating and it's eating and it's eating and it's getting fat. And it's getting fatter and fatter. You know, establishments just getting all this money and, and raising up money for conferences and, you know, to build bigger churches and, you know, to make a beautiful facility for what? Where, what is that money? How is it bearing fruit in the kingdom of God? All that stuff will be burnt away. We have situations arise in the church where uh, mothers cannot get out of their, their um, abusive relationships because if they do, they have nowhere to go. All the shelters right now in Chicago are packed. Where is the church? You know, drug dealers wanting to get off of addictions. Where is the church? We have facilities, amen, for Teens Challenge and other ones who are doing it, but they're packed. Where is the church? We drove down from North Avenue, from Laramie all the way to Cicero, I believe, we counted 20 churches on North Avenue, 20 or 21 churches on North Avenue. Where is the body of Christ? Where is it? What is the church doing? Competing against each other, ministry against ministry, wanting to see how many people they can get to their services, having concerts and inviting people from other churches. Invite the lost. Having plays and outreaches, inviting people from other churches, conferences, inviting 
other brothers and sisters, man. That's awesome. Fellowship is great. Don't get me wrong. But where's the loss? Where is the loss? Where is the hurt? You know, the greatest commandment is to love God, and the second one is to love people. How can you love people if you don't even know them? Let me tell you, going out into the streets all the time, making it a priority to talk to someone every single day has given me a face to pray for every single time I'm at this altar. It's not like I'm just praying for a random person I don't even know. I know a name. I know a face. I know a situation that I'm praying for. Amen? Where is the church? We're called to exercise our faith. You know, in Matthew 10, 27, it says, What I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the roof. See, what God tells us, when God pours into us, when he speaks to us, we're supposed to let it come in us and through us. Amen? Everybody say, in us and through us. We're called to share our faith to the world. Whether it's in your home or outside in the street, doesn't matter. We don't have to argue about where you're going to share your faith. Just do it. Amen? You know, there's, this, there's, this, there's two women in our church, and they're both dealing with lupus right now. You know? What I would do to give the, these women, you know, the cure. What I would do to just say, here, take this. Take this, and this is going to heal you. You know, my heart, and I'm sure you guys have that heart too. You know, you would just take it in an instant to take the pain away, to take all the side effects from the medicine. You would do anything to take that away. But you know what? You have the cure. You have the answer to, to keep people from hell. Amen? And the same way that you would want to give that person the cure for cancer, the cure for lupus, you should have that same desire to, have, to want to keep people away from hell. The other day on Friday night, Leilani and I were standing outside the church, and we were just standing out. We were coming back from evangelism. And right before our eyes, there was a car crash out there. This little car slammed into an SUM and the um, SUM. <laughs> I got to do homework. Slammed into an SUV, and the SUV flipped over, right across, right over here. Flipped over. It was like, boom. It was like in an instant. It was, it was like a nightmare, you know? And so what do I, I dropped everything I had, and I, we ran. And we ran so fast, we didn't even check to see if there was cars coming. And we ran to go pray for them. And immediately, it's pray, 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 pray. You know, to say, why? Because we didn't want them to be stuck. We wanted to make sure that they were breathing. We wanted to make sure that they were okay. We ran so fast. It didn't matter because we wanted what to save them, right? We didn't even know what we could do, you know? We, we didn't know if we had the ability to do, to do something. But we ran as fast as we could because we wanted to do something. Because we didn't want them to die. In that same urgency that we have to go over, there's the same urgency that we need to have when we go out and preach the gospel. It's not just a task or a duty. It's not just something else to do on your to-do list. But it's, some, it's, it's your job. It's your duty. It's the work that God has called you to do. Each and every Christian in this place. And if you're not saved, we're going to talk to you in a little bit. Amen? Jesus Christ gave his one and only life for you. He gave it all, everything. He ministered. He had his ministry for three years, and he gave it all, and he poured it all into his disciples, and he shared with people, people who were not like him, people who hated him, and he still taught them, and he loved them, and he had compassion on them. Imagine if you knew what your neighbor was thinking all the time, man. You would be getting offended. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes you would just be getting offended. You would not like that person all the time. Jesus Christ knew the hearts of men. And he still loved him. He knew the one that was going to betray him. He knew when his disciples, the people around him, were going to desert him. He knew that. He knew the people that he was feeding, the 4,000 he was feeding, were the same ones that were going to deny him, the same ones that were going to condemn him. 
and he still died for them. He knew the sin that you, 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 and you, and you, and myself, we were all going to commit. And he still died for us. He gave it all. How much more should we give it all? Amen? Whew, I'm getting excited. Christians, we work. It's what we do. It's nothing, there's no other question about it. We have to work daily. What we work on our prayer life, you know? It gets hard sometimes, right, trying to balance everything. We work on relationships. We work on our academics, you know, if, if, some, if we're called to study. You know, we're working all the time. We work telling about others about Jesus. We just work everywhere. We work at being servants in the church, in the home. We work, so don't let anybody tell you wrong. And some people might say, I thought we were saved by grace. We are saved by grace. Amen. We're not working for salvation. I know that I'm saved. I just know that what I have is good. And I know that I want others to know it. And I know that I want others to go to heaven and not to hell. Amen? Okay, so we're going to get to the word right now. Let's turn to Ephesians 2.10. If Ricky can put it up there. It says, for we are God's workmanship, <laughs> created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Amen? Which God prepared in advance for us to do. God, you're saved already. There's no doubt about that. The Bible said, be, says, be sure of your salvation. I know I'm going to heaven. I'm going to see Jesus one day. You know, if I stay on this walk, there's no doubt about that. But God has already prepared things for me to do. He's prepared a place and a time. He's prepared people for me to come in contact with, to speak, to spread the gospel. And that I, I take great pride in that. And it's a huge responsibility that we have as Christians to share the gospel. We are not weak. I don't know if I shared this in this place before, but, man, why? I think I have. Why is it that when we come, before we come to Christ, we're so bold, and when we come to Christ, we're all weak? You know what I'm saying? Like, we don't even want to pray amongst ourselves. You know, Rachel calls us up to testify about how good God is, and, you know, thank God two people went up there. You know what I'm saying? Where's the boldness? And people say we want to talk too much about boldness. No, man. God wants to give us the power. He wants to work through us. Jesus Christ was bold. He preached the gospel everywhere he went. He had power and authority, and so do we. Just like we all pray, just like we all worship, just like we all have to repent when we sin, we all have to evangelize. We all have to evangelize. You might say, well, I'm not an evangelist. You know, that's, there's, there's the five-fold ministry in mine. There's the five-fold ministry. Let's turn to Ephesians 4.12. The five-fold ministry. We got the prop. Hold on. It says, Ephesians 4.11, It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors, and some to, and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Amen. So what is the fivefold ministry supposed to do? Somebody. For what? Prepare God's people for works of service. Are you God's people? You might be saying, Griselle, why are you coming down so hard on us? We're doing it. We're doing it for Jesus. But you know what? Don't let the devil lie to you. 
Don't get tired when it's time to push. Don't get tired when you have to evangelize three times a week. And telling you, you're not an evangelist. You're just called to, to worship. You're just called to work with the children. You're just called, you know, to bake cookies. You know, that is a lie from the devil. God wants you to preach every person. And the people who are called, the people who have these titles, the people who know that they're called to be pastors, apostles, evangelists, prophets, and teachers, those people are supposed to equip you to do the good works. Because guess what? When you start doing the good works, there will be unity among us. We will work together. It will be powerful. Amen? 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 Oh, no, I'm trying to get to my notes. God has redeemed us, but now there are, there are things that we have planned for us to complete. I, I, each and every person. You know, the Bible says that um, the Lord will complete the good work that is in you, that he started in you. But you have to be willing you know, there's so many times I've, I know I've heard God. I know I hear God. God says, go talk to that person. I say, God, I'm busy. I got to go to work. You know, and you hear that voice too, and that, that fear comes inside of you, you know. And, you know, your boss starts talking about, you know, my baby's sick, and you want to start telling her, you know, pray, you know, let's pray for her. But you get nervous. You know, don't get nervous. Go with it. Go with the flow. The flow, that's the Holy Spirit pushing you. You'll be surprised if you follow what God is telling you to do. How many people around you would start, you know, coming to Christ? You know, Eddie was just walking across right in front of the building, and he's just walking back and forth, back and forth. Remember? He was pacing back and forth right in front of the church, and God said, go talk to that guy. And I did. I could have stayed inside. I didn't have to. I wasn't evangelizing. I didn't have to be evangelizing. You know what I'm saying? But the Holy Spirit, boom, 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 tells you, go, go, go. And if you think about it, Think about it twice. You won't go. Trust me, your flesh is a liar. It will keep you from doing things that God wants you to do. Colossians 3.23, here I'm telling you to evangelize, and it's not for me and it's not for the church. It's not for Metro Praise, trust me, because God's going to do what he wants to do. But here it says, whatever you do, do it with all of your heart as working for the Lord, not for men. Since you know you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ that you are saving, that you are serving. Amen? Who are we serving? Are you serving me? Serving Pastor Joe? No. Ultimately, you're serving the Lord. In all things, not just evangelism. When you come into this place and you get up there to worship and practice, and when you put in extra hours, when you're studying as UM students, when we're studying up, staying up late till 3 o'clock in the morning, you know, or when we're leaving it to 3 o'clock in the morning, you're doing that unto the Lord. Everything that we do. So just remember that. Ministry workers, you know, when it gets hard, when you're going through things, when people don't treat you right and don't speak to you the way that they're supposed to, just because, you know, we're all human, you're doing it unto the Lord. You are doing it unto the Lord. 1 Corinthians 15. Ricky, if you could put it up there. I don't think I... God is good. If you believe everything that we're talking about, say amen. amen. Say hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah. Say thank you for, for using me. Thank you for allowing me to serve you. Here's Paul. It says, for I am, well, let's start in the beginning. Uh, in 1 Corinthians 15, it says, now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preach to you, 
Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as the first importance, importance that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Says, then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also, as to one abnormally born. Says, for I am the least of the apostles. Everybody say the least. I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them. No, I worked harder than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it was I or they, this is what we preach, and this is what you believe. Amen. Paul, we, we acknowledge him as a great man, a great apostle. Amen. He worked harder than all of them. He worked and he preached the gospel. It wasn't anything about full-time ministry or a lay person. It was all ministry to him. It was all ministry. It was all about Christ. It was all about getting the gospel out there to a dining generation around him, to people who had been misled by other religions. To him, his greatest desire was to make Jesus known. What is our greatest desire? I want you to ask yourself right that, right now. What's your greatest desire? Is your greatest desire to get a degree? Is your greatest desire to get a, a title, to be recognized in your household, to, you know, what is your greatest desire? To be, to be known in this world or to make Jesus Christ known? To bring people to salvation, man. Let your heart burn inside for the souls. People are dying and the church is inside asleep. How could you fall asleep when you, you know, when you're walking with the power of God? My goodness, you know, I feel like I just started walking with Jesus, seeing him heal people, seeing him set people free, you know? I feel like I'm, I'm just now understanding, and how could I fall asleep now? You've all seen God. You've all felt God. You've all heard God in this room. How could such people fall asleep? They fell asleep, and they knew God. They saw him. He revealed himself to him. Rick, if you could um, put that thing up I asked you to. It's up. Well, while you, while you do that, let's turn to Matthew 20. The last, last thing I'm going to read to you. And then I'm going to read something to you off the Internet. Um, click on the first one, please. Okay. God is looking for workers. Amen. He's looking for men and women to die to their flesh and to say, Lord, I am willing, send me. God is looking for people who are sold out. Once you get into a relationship with Jesus, man, you want, you want people to know him. You want people to love him and serve him and bow down to him and only him. You want people to respect him. You don't want people to come out with religion. You don't want people to tell you, oh, I'm living halfway. It offends you. I know it sure offends me when people tell me, oh, I'm still struggling with sin. You know? Because Jesus Christ, I know, can set people free. So that's why we go out and we preach and we tell people, God wants you free Today, not next year, not, you know, not 10 years from now, but today. He's looking for workers in the vineyard. It says, for the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire men to work in his vineyard. 
he agreed to pay them a denarius, I don't know if I said that right, for the day and sent them into his vineyard. About the third hour, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went, and he went out again about the sixth hour and on the ninth hour and did the same thing. About the eleventh hour, he went out and found still others standing around. And he asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. And he said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, because with the last ones hired. I didn't read that right. It says, when the evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about the 11th hour came and each received their money. So when those who came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received money. It says, when they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These men who were hired last worked only one hour, they said. And you have made them equal to us who have borne the equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, Friend, I'm not, going to, I'm not being unfair to you. Didn't you agree to work for, for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the man who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or, you, or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first and the first will be last. Amen. So what do we learn out of this parable? We learn, number one, Christ doesn't want us to, to just be stagnant, to be standing there not doing anything. You know, this is what the kingdom is like, workers, workers in the vineyard doing something. And guess what? We will all receive a reward. He doesn't want people to complain. He wants people to work. Work on what God has called you to do wherever. He has called you to a church. You stay put in that church and you work there. You don't look to the ministry down the street. You look where God has placed you and you stay put. You don't look at the person worshiping next to you, you know, who's in the children's ministry, who's in the Spanish ministry. You look and you stay put and you keep your eyes on Jesus Christ. You don't complain. You do your work unto God. And in the end, whatever reward you get, that's what you get. And you don't worry about anybody else. You got Jesus. Amen. He's looking for workers. Everybody say workers. Say, I am a worker for Jesus Christ. This church will not let you be stagnant. We will not. If you look around, there's empty seats. You think they weren't filled before? We will not let people be in this church and be lukewarm. Amen? We will tell you, you have to do something for the kingdom of God. We will not allow you to just come and just receive. We will not allow you to stay in your sin. You're going to have to move on because this is not what Christ wants. So we do, we do not, we take this very serious. We take evangelism very seriously. Connecting people to Christ, man, is what God has called us to do. The Great Commission. Go and make disciples of all nations. Amen? I can't read that, Ricky. <laughs> Can you uh, magnify it somehow? Zoom in. Yeah. Where it says 46.4, right there, right? Where? There. Okay. Okay, that's too big though. <laughs> Try 100. Awesome. Okay, I'm going to read this to you. It says Charles Spurgeon, the renowned preacher of London in the 1800s, was not only a gifted leader, but was a hard worker. 
By the time most pastors write a few emails, wrestle with the dates for VBS, vocation, what is it called? Vacation Bible School, and read the junk mail, Spurgeon would have completed a mountain of tasks. For instance, each week he preached several times, often ten, trained pastors in the pastor's college, wrote several hundred letters. I'm immersed to my chin in letters. Led an elders meeting, conducted a prayer meeting, counseled numbers of new believers preparing for baptism, on average 30 persons. Says, read volumes of Puritan theology, edited both his printed sermon, The Sword and the Trowel, wrote a few chapters in one of his 150 books, squared off against some heresies, buried a few members, entertained many guests, and visited his orphans at the orphan home established by the church. Amen? A man cannot be idle and yet have Christ's weak company, he once wrote. Christ is a quick walker, and when his people would talk to him, they must travel quickly too, or else they will soon lose his company. He exhibited his tirelessness and labor when he began preaching as an 18-year-old at Water Beach. The church at first had only 40 members, but soon grew to 100, with many more guests attending. I'm 18 tomorrow and hope, and hope Sunday to preach for the 180th time since I started about one and a half years ago, he said. By the time he was 20, he had preached approximately 500 times. He once exclaimed, the sin of doing nothing is about the biggest of all sins, for it involves most of the others. I'm going to say that one more time. The sin of doing nothing is about the biggest of all sins, for it involves most of the others. Horrible idleness. God save us from it. But won't too much labor for Christ and the church harm your family? Every pastor and committed Christian worker must be careful about this. It is true. But for every Christian leader who works too hard, there are many more who do way too little. Once I returned home from several days of public ministry, saddened that I was going to have to leave again the next day, I was lamenting the whole thing before my wife and young son. After listening to my whining, my son approached me with these words. Daddy, do you have, oh, it says, Daddy, you have to go for three reasons. First, God told you to. Second, you get presents, meaning that sometimes generous churches would send them something, something back to the kids. And third, people need to hear what you have to say. Not bad advice from a nine, for a nine-year-old. says, I shut up realizing that my son was not harmed by my hard work. In fact, I think it has been extremely important for my kids to see a dad who believes what he preaches and is willing to labor to get the message out. Soon my kids, my kids began helping me in the ministry and loving it. I worked hard to include them. Veteran Pastor Vernon Higham said this about revival leaders in Wales. Labor for God was to be respected rather than despised. Spurgeon stated that he believed in Adam Clark's adage, kill yourself with labor and then pray yourself alive again. Come on. I'm going to say that one more time. Kill yourself with labor and then pray yourself alive again. I know that Spurgeon died as a young man. He wore himself out with his labors. But would we have it any other way? Ricky? It says, if I have any message to give from my own bed of sickness, it would be this. If you do not wish to be full of regrets when you are obliged to lie still, work while you can. If you desire to make a sick bed as soft as it can be, do not stuff it with mournful reflections that you wasted time while you were in health and strength. People said to me years ago, you will break your constitution down with preaching ten times a week and the like. 
Well, if I have done so, I am glad of it. I would do the same again. If I had 50 constitutions, I would rejoice to break them down in the service of the Lord Jesus Christ. You young men that are strong, overcome the wicked one and fight for the Lord while you can. You will never regret having done all that lies in you for our blessed Lord and Master. Crowd as much as you can into every day and postpone no work till tomorrow. Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with all thy might. Amen? Wow, doesn't that encourage you? It says, kill your, that's what got me the most, man. Kill yourself with labor and pray yourself alive. Do all that you can so that when you are forced to lie down, when you are forced to rest, there will be no regrets. Let there be no regrets in this place of young adults right now. We're young, man. We can do it all. We can do great, mighty things for the Lord. Let there be no regrets in this room that we, we were too scared. We were too frightened of what was out in this world. I pray, oh God, that you would give us the heart, Father God, that you would give us, dear God, just the revelation of the power and the anointing that you can pour.